cybersecurity and the risk to organizations is not going away. It is something we are all acutely aware of and it's something we all need to take drastic action against and mitigate against before it's too late. That sounds desperate, it sounds ominous, and it sounds reactionary. But being reactionary is too late. I'm James Erasmus on the Tech Central Show, and I'm very honored to have in the, in the studio today with me, Richard Frost. Richard Frost is the head of product for Armata, and I'm very, very pleased to introduce him and this topic, specifically around cybersecurity and the importance of active threat hunting. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you, James. Great to be here. Now, Richard, let's just unpack the, the, the topic of cybersecurity is, is well known and understood and people are, are acutely aware of the problem. And I'm, I started that intentionally by, 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 by raising people's interests and in the concern because if it isn't acted on and if we don't practically do something, we're going to find that there's some malware or ransomware sitting dormant in our systems that we don't know about and what to do about those things. And what exactly and where does your cybersecurity posture sit? And what do you do for the industry? So, James, thanks. That's a good question. Um, from an organizational perspective, we try to help organizations to prepare their cybersecurity stance in the best way to, to mitigate risk. Um, we find pre prevention is obviously better than, um, you know, trying to correct things afterwards. We have seen in a lot of cases companies being um, attacked with ransomware, for example, and those companies have not only had a financial loss from trying to recover data, but also a reputational loss. And a reputation, as you know, a lot of companies depend on it, and if you lose your reputation in the market, you will also lose your business. So by preventing cyber attacks, by making sure you have a very good cyber risk posture, um, you have less chance of being hit by ransomware or other types of malware. Um, there are other dangers like denial of service attacks and there's ways of mitigating those risks. But at the end of the day, um, people do need to take cybersecurity seriously because there is a, a rather serious risk to your business if you are under attack. Um, we've seen some of the bigger corporates out there and the reputational damage that's happened after their recent uh, ransomware attacks as well. Um, and, and the cost of those, I mean, if you look at an SMB, which is generally considered 50 users or under, the cyber insurers are saying claims are averaging about 6.5 million for a small business like that. I mean, that's a lot of money. Going and you use RAN, so I'm assuming that's, that's, that's a local problem, South Africa. 100% South Africa local problems. And for larger organizations, they've seen claims in the 30 millions. So I think wow. the biggest claim that I've seen processed personally that I'm aware of um, from one of our customers was, was over 500 million. And obviously, those claims are the reasons why they're now engaging with us, which is a little bit after the fact. Yes. So, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd like to say, I hope that, I hope that's, that happened prior to you being involved. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> Richard, on that point about South Africa, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I wanted to ask, why is South Africa perhaps considered an attractive target to cybersecurity criminals? So it's an interesting question, and a lot of people have different ideas about that. I mean, I believe currently we are ranked number six most attacked country in the world. I think it's because we, as, as much as we are classed as third world country, are quite ahead um, in, in certain aspects. We have a lot of first world services that we have. We have cloud-based services. We utilize a lot of the international um, solutions like Azure and AWS. 
Um, but our cybersecurity is probably not as advanced and sophisticated as it should be, or we're not investing in that area as much as we should be. We also have a lot of people that are um, digitizing their environments, but maybe don't understand the potential risks that are created by doing so. So um, adequate user awareness training, you know, of individuals right down to, um, yeah, I think um, from the fact that we're a third world country, but we have a lot of first world practices. Um, we're quite advanced yep. for an African country as far as digitization goes. Um, this obviously opens up a lot more risks, but I don't believe that we're as mature from a cybersecurity perspective. We're not doing what we need to do um, to prevent any form of cyber attacks. Um, larger organizations will spend quite a lot of money on their cybersecurity postures, but smaller businesses that are becoming more and more digital are not. Um, cybersecurity is always seen as a budge, or sorry, a, a, a grudge purchase. Um, and because of this, people are loath to spend money on cybersecurity. And I think it just makes us an easier target. Got you. And, and it, it is a grudge purchase until it's too late. And, and that's Correct. really p- part of what we do as, as Tech Central is we, we inform and advise the industry. And one of the things I'd like to ask is the comparison between South Africa and other countries. My guess is, yes, you said that we, you know, we perhaps don't have the right or as professional postures other countries and corporates and other countries might do. And you mentioned small businesses, but is the, is the approach towards the cybersecurity or the threat against us or the modus operandi any different? I think the, the threats are exactly the same. Um, you know, we have the denial of service attacks. We have the same kind of ransomware attacks. We do have yeah. um, slightly different maybe um, phishing attacks, emails that are sent through um, trying to get us to click links, probably adapted slightly more to our, our areas. Okay. Um, we probably also have a lot more people sitting locally that are perpetrating these crimes as well. So it's not just you know, emails coming from, from overseas, but these are very tailored. I mean, if you think of some of the phishing mails that we've seen during COVID with Papia, you know, mails coming from the bank looking legitimate saying, you know, we've updated our T's and C's in accordance to Papia. Um, please, you know, accept the T's and C's. And it's actually a phishing attack. When you actually log in your details for sure. the banking, it's actually the threat actor stealing your credentials. Um, so those are very targeted attacks yep. local in the country. And because of our, our lack of awareness around these crimes, we are more susceptible to them. Mm. And that lack of awareness is not gullibility as much as it's perhaps a, a lack of not skills, a lack of knowledge, a lack of education on the topic. And, and we all need to be very aware that the threats are there. We are aware that the threats are there, but what do those threats look like? And you've mentioned phishing, you've, we've talked about ransomware, we've talked about malware. Um, often those, those threats sit dormant in a system or those threats are actually um, perhaps from a, 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 a secondary or, or a tertiary service provider that is sitting somewhere in the, in the, in the work environment that, that isn't necessarily acutely obvious to us. Could we unpack that? Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at um, some of the ransomware attacks that have been um, found out right, or, or, or that have been caught, they found that there was actually almost 180 days of ransomware sitting in the environment, busy working its way around the network and, you know, taking control of machines, doing privilege escalation to, to get into administrative access, infecting the machines with malware. So it's 180 days of this virus basically going around infecting as many machines as it can. And only then does it encrypt and send out the actual ransom. By that time, as well, most of your data has been copied off site. 
So depending on the type of ransomware sure. that it could be, you know, you could have either a crypto ransomware that's just going to encrypt the machine and, and extort you for, for a ransom. But then there's also the ones that are copying your data or for months and, and, you know, almost creating a new database of your data to be sold in the black market um, before you even, you know, aware of it. And, and I think this is where it becomes yep. critical for the active threat hunting. And th- that dormancy allows for it to be, to, to go arguably unrecognized for a period and your systems see that, detect abnormalities. What, what are your tools specialize in? Correct. So majority of the solutions that we use um, are starting to become a little bit more um, user behavior aware so, or, or even application behavior aware. So when you do see an anomaly of traffic leaving the organization that shouldn't be, um, that would throw up a potential threat and that will allow us then to, um, mm. you know, drill down deeper and actually investigate further and see what's, what's actually going on. Um, there's the concept of the zero day attack where you might have a new version of, of ransomware that's out that's not detected by the traditional malware solutions. And you might have a solution like, um, EDR, endpoint detect and respond that'll notice the change in behavior of an application. Yep. And it will then start alerting us in, in our network operations center or security operations center um, to the fact that there's a potential threat and we can then go and investigate further. We can also see things on the network. So, for example, I mentioned the um, ransomware that encrypts your data. That actually needs to do some form of a key exchange. It needs to do a handshake and say, I need encryption keys to lock these servers down. And we've seen on our firewalls even that communication trying to happen and we've blocked it at that level that it will immediately alert us there's a ransomware somewhere in the environment and we need to find it. So a combination of looking at the endpoint for changes in behavior of, of applications, as well as looking at the data on the network, we use that information correlated to actually pick up um, patterns and trends in, in security breaches. And my guess is your offer is to automate as much of that process as possible. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even from a resolution perspective, um, to give an example, in, in, in a prime um, environment, you would have an email that would come in with, with some kind of ransomware attachment or a link to download the ransomware. We fool the, the user into believing that it's a legitimate email. They click on the link, infect themselves. All right. This then gets notified through by the, the endpoint detection solution to the SOC. The SOC solution then automatically starts isolating the machine, trying to resolve and understand what the ransomware is, possibly push it into a sandbox, you know, to see the impact of the ransomware. And while that's happening, it will do a, a subtask to say, you know, alert the users to the fact that there is a ransomware. And then additional subtask could be check on the firewall if there's any communications going on, block that, check on the email security solution, how the email got in, make sure it doesn't come in again, put the rules in place to block it. So you can almost have this tier of 10, 20 workflows being automated and happening you know, simultaneous while the operators are busy mm. um, investing in the ransomware itself. Um, and things that could take, you know, a day, two days to do, we can now do in space of five minutes through automation. Okay. And while you were talking, I was putting myself in the, in the, in the shoes of a chief Inf- information security officer and thinking that sounds like a lot of work and possibly some, and I think we used this word recently, alert fatigue. Yeah, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you manage that? The biggest issue that you find when you have some kind of a um, event like that is it will generate quite a lot of um, sort of different notifications. And we have a log collector that will collect all these security events, it could be thousands of them. And then the system itself needs to trawl through those and see what's legitimate 
or um, correlates where there's noise. So if I get hit with some kind of an outage, it could affect, say, a thousand hosts. I don't want to know about each and every host. I just want to know one event that says there's a problem here we need to investigate. So the solutions are actually consolidating those events down to uh, meaningful incidents and generating an incident for us to then um, follow. Um, we also have a bedding down process when you take a customer on board to actually sift through the information that's been gathered to see what is major, minor, critical, or just informational. And we can then build rules to say, look, just alert us to the stuff that are potential threats, ignore everything else, and just keep it for the record. So, so yeah, it, it, bring, it brings... Okay, so it, it brings that um, triage perspective. And, and, and my guess is a lot of what you talk about in, when you go back to the point about automation, a lot of that automative process is neutralizing the threat or guiding it elsewhere. Yeah, so I mean, from an um, automation perspective, you, you do want to obviously yeah. isolate that incident as well to stop it spreading. So that's one, one aspect of the automation. Yeah. And then the resolution and, and rectifying the situation is another form of automation that we, we use. Okay. Um, and Amata's stance on active threat hunting, you know, I think the word you used in a, in a recent white paper you wrote was non-negotiable. Correct. So we, as part of our service offering, um, offer different methods of, of active threat hunting. Um, there's obviously the threat feeds that are coming in from security vendors like Fortinet and Kaspersky and, um, uh, you know, the different endpoint protected vendors. And what's great about the threat feeds is when there is a, a zero-day attack, the first time it's seen, right, um, it's then sent out around the globe through these threat feeds. And our SOC would then pick it up and be aware of it. Give you a good example. Um, you know, there was a little while ago a, a, an attack through Kaseya with ransomware. And it happened kind of more in the States first. And because we obviously, on a different time zone, we were alerted to it at night. And before our customer base was... Uh, impacted, we had already isolated the service for our customers. So, you know, that, that comes in through a threat feed. It's propagated quite quickly. Um, another one that everybody's familiar with is Log4j. So that kind of information would be sent through to us. Yeah. We would immediately say, right, so Log4j is a vulnerability, but how's it been exploited? Where where are potential attacks, um, you know, targeted on, on Log4j? And we can scan the client's environments quickly and say, right, these are the, the systems that are uh, impacted by this particular vulnerability and we need to now patch or put up temporary firewalls to block it. Um, so the active threat hunting is is not just looking for um, threats in the environment before they happen, but also taking in threat feeds and, and being aware of where the rest of the world's struggling. Um, not Petra is a good example again. You know, broke the borders of the Ukraine, was a targeted Ukraine attack, became global phenomenon. I think some companies are reporting claims of over $4 billion dollars um, you know, that again, through active threat hunting, you can pick it up before it becomes a problem. Okay. And those are all good examples you're citing. Um, I, I like to be quite practical and see how you've you know, practically, and those are good examples, used your tools, created those specialized um, perspectives, done the active uh, threat hunting, been through a process of, of automating it, identified some, some problems, but then also had to go and knock on the customer's door and say, you know, actually, some of your greatest threats are from internal. And I think one of the examples we, we talked about the other day was, 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 was cameras. 
you know, the cameras in around your office space, are they, are they secure? Well, we're all looking at PCs and networks and laptops and, 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 and handheld devices. Wh- what about the other peripherals? So yeah, your, your internal threats can be either malicious or it could be unintentional. So malicious is obviously a disgruntled employee that says, I'm going to take the company down, right? And then you get your unintentional. And the unintentional mm. is where, like we mentioned, the camera system, the guys had um, enabled the camera to run from 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. at night in a director's office. It was to make sure that his filing cabinet that had sensitive data wasn't tampered with. And what actually happened was the threat actors managed to get hold of the camera uh, username and password, which was admin admin. They managed to log in, change the time period that the camera was recording for, and ended up actually recording the director's keystrokes, which allowed them to then utilize that information to to oh. access his his systems. You know, so that's a completely unintentional thing. Um, but again, it is from lack of understanding. You know, the the security officer in this example, <clears throat> excuse me, was actually um, given the the kind of reprimand, and it was actually a facilities controlled camera system. So. It wasn't even that this, the security mm. officer actually had control over that environment. However, the fact that they allowed the camera through the firewall and made it accessible, that's where the, the information security officers should have uh, put their foot down and said, guys, we need to lock the system down. So it, it was kind of like both parties were responsible. Um, how we found out about it was through doing um, a form of penetration test and attack surface scan for the client after the fact. Um, and then we actually looked through the logs on the system and actually saw when the threat actors had actually made the changes. So, yeah, that's <laughs> quite an interesting example and not something you'd think from cybersecurity. You know, my cameras are the problem. No, but to, to my point at the very beginning of our conversation is everybody has a responsibility <laughs> to play in this, this, this um, you know, mitigating the threat. And Correct. you may be installing a camera, but there are implications to that. 100%. Um, oh, thanks. It's a good example. Yeah. Yeah, simple threats these days as well as um, people coming into an office space and asking the receptionist or PA to to call somebody for them. And as they leave their desk, they plug a USB drive in and take control of an entire network. And it, it only takes 60 seconds for that program to run. You know, so now the PA has suddenly become the breach. So it comes down to user awareness as well as the systems that we have in place. Mm. The human firewall, they call it. The human firewall. Exactly. We need that. So, and and I, I think that somewhat answers um, the question that I was about to ask, which is on the fact that if one was to ask um, why or what are the best defense mechanisms against cyber attack, granted, the first would be upskill, inform, you know, manage the internal human threat. But where does one start and how do you, how do you help your clients in that process? So a lot of the things that we're trying to do as a market differently than just selling the products and saying, you know, you need to buy a firewall, you need to buy this, is actually taking a look at the client's environments uh, holistically, having a look to see if you're in the retail space, you need to conform with these kind of compliance rules. If you're in legal, it's kind of a different um, system. Build the actual cybersecurity roadmap for the customer over a period of time, budgets, risk dependent. And then helping them on that journey to start, you know, securing the environment. If you think of a, 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 an organization these days that's now got a, a hybrid workforce, it's pointless securing the company when half of your staff are working from home. So you need to almost adapt your strategy to say, you know, we have these mobile users. The added risk is we now have South Africa with load shedding. So as you saw, our generator just failed and it's just come back on again. 
Um, you now have people that are working from home. They suddenly have load shedding. What do they do? They go to a coffee shop. They go to Mug and Bean and they, they log into free Wi-Fi there. If you have a threat actor that's building some kind of you know evil twin, you're logging onto that. They're stealing your credentials. They're almost using your cybersecurity against you by you know stealing your VPN connectivity credentials. Um, and we've actually seen it in the real world. People going to an internet, uh, sorry, a coffee shop using free internet, and the next second the company is breached. And it's just because they've actually sniffed the data um, while the user's connecting to systems remotely. So you, you you need to almost adapt. You need to train the user behavior because even things like coffee shops, you know, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what you're logging into. Okay. Then the systems that are in place, where does your data reside? You access the data from your laptop or from your phone, and you've got the systems that are actually containing the data. You need to secure those, right? So that's that's kind of the advice that we take is kind of build a, a, a a standard that you conform to, like NIST or ISO. Um, make sure that you have all the right procedures and products in place to to adhere to that, and then train your users to make sure that they're aware of, of the potential risks um, and how they could potentially expose the business to those. Richard, that sounds very reassuring. Um, Richard Frost, Head of Product at Armata. Cybersecurity is critical to all of us. It's critical to the security of our economy because if we do continually get breached, things are going to go, get, from, go, get from worse to worse. And the dormant ransomware that does sit is trying to avoid detection. It's actually actively trying to avoid being um, discovered. It's encrypting your data. It's slowly um, manifesting in a way in which will ma manipulate it's way into a system, it'll manipulate what it's trying to achieve in the first place, and you don't even necessarily know it's there. The data is your crown jewel. The escalation and the, the privileged escalation of the way in which that, that ransomware might behave in your environment is a huge risk to your organization. And Richard, I think what you've done is you've clearly emphasized the importance of that, both from a, you know, that internal perspective, as you said, the, the unintentional and the malicious perspective, and we all need to become more and more aware and put some actions and some tools in place to mitigate against cybersecurity and the, the threat against cybersecurity and their attacks. So, Richard, thank you very, very much for joining us here at the TC+. Really enjoyed today's conversation and I look forward to many, many more. Thank you, Richard. Absolute pleasure and thank you for having me.